So we're in our third part of this series in Philippians. Part four is next week, and our vision is going to actually come out of the end of Philippians chapter one. And there's been two other parts. They're really simple to remember. Philippians one, verse six, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing to the Philippians, he says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He who began the good work will complete it. That was the sermon that we talked about. The message, really the emphasis of Paul is God's got this. You guys, don't, as Philippians, you don't need to panic that I'm in prison, chained to a Roman guard for the last two years. You, you don't need to panic. Actually, he was in, under house arrest a lot of that time, so I keep saying prison. You all think of a prison cell. He's really just in, in his somebody's house chained to a guard, um, probably on the Roman praetorium's property somewhere. But, uh, but he's chained up to this guard for two, plus two years. Two plus years, he's just got a guard with him all the time, no privacy or nothing, because he was considered a threat to the political agenda, to the uh, religious agendas of the day. And so, Paul, but Paul's saying in Philipp, to the Philippians, I'm, I love you so much. I thank God for my every remembrance of you. And God's got this. He who began the good work will complete it. Then when we looked at chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, I showed you how Paul's talking about the Philippians being this really awesome group of believers. And he's saying, you've got this. You guys are doing a great job. Your love is abounding more and more. And I'm just going to keep praying that your love continues to abound, that it literally washes, the word is floods out of its riverbanks over into more communities. I want your love to abound more and more, right? And he, so he's saying, you've got this. You visited me. You've cared for me. You've proven your love for me in all these cool ways. And so I want you to look at the third part of this chapter, verses 12 through 26 this morning. Paul says, God's got this. You Philippians are doing a good job. You've got this. And then he says, and I'm in prison, and I want you to know I got this. It's good. We're good. He's really saying, I'm good. Everything's going to be okay because God's got this. It all comes out of verse 6. The, the dominant verse of chapter 1 is verse 6. But out of that, Paul spins out and says to the, to the Philippians, you've got it. Now let me just tell you how I've got it. Okay, here's what's happening with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, you're in jail, Paul. I don't know if you know this or not, but they, about a couple of years ago, they, they locked you up, put, you, put a chain around you, put a chain around Roman guard, and said, you're going to stay here. And Paul's going, yeah, that's exactly right. I want you to know that what's happened to me is it served to advance the gospel. It's become known throughout the whole Praetorian Imperial Guard to all the rest of... Uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul's saying, when they locked me up with a bunch of Roman soldiers, guess who got to hear the gospel? The poor guy that's chained to Paul. Man, don't you know that guy got an earful all day every day? I'll just tell some of you who know when we go to the fishing day every year, May the 19th, our big fishing day, once a year we take a bunch of kids fishing and, and we have dozens of them come to christ when that happens it's the coolest thing our church does to me because it's just a blast um, so don't miss it but there's a guy that started all that named terry chuck pure evan his gift is pure evangelism i don't think he has any other gifts by the way god gave him one a gift and and he's just 110 percent wide open actually he's about 212 percent most of the time as an evangelist if you're saved and aren't really sure of yourself you're going to get resaved with him i promise you 
He will not let you up off the mat till you come to Christ, right? Everybody knows. Those of you who know Terry, I call him a ter terrorism evangelism. That's what he does. He just goes after people and pins you to the wall and makes you answer questions, and he's got you, right? Can you imagine being chained to Terry Chupp? Can you imagine being chained to Terry Chupp for a month? How about a year? Here's some poor Roman soldier, probably in six or eight hour shifts. They're like, oh man, I got to go back to that guy, Paul. He's an apostle. Oh, he can't get over telling me about that and how he used to persecute people. Now he serves Jesus and all about Jesus. Here we go. All about, all about Jesus, you know? I mean, that's an amazing deal. And he's saying the whole praetorian guard, all the rest of my imprisonment. And then he says, and most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, is much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there's a lot of people speaking the word now. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Now, there's a bunch of people, he's saying they're real Christians, but they're declaring the gospel and Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you mark things in your Bible, I want you to mark that word prayer, your prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, will, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, theme of the book, full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, and that means fruitful labor for me, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? He's like, I don't know if I want to be martyred and go to heaven and see Jesus. Man, that'd be awesome. Because gospel. if I'm martyred, the gospel gets proclaimed through my death. Yay, gospel, yay. Jesus, yay. Okay, then he says, or, can't, I just don't know, if, or if I want to hang out here with you guys and still live in my body and have fruitful labor with you. I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ. That seems far better, but to remain in the flesh is necessary on account of you. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So in other words, today, they didn't come knock on my door today and take me to the chopping block. So today, I'm going to remain with you guys for your progress and join the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. In other words, today I can write this letter to you, which means you can glory in the fact that I had one more day to speak of God's praise and God's glory. Here's what I want you to see. Paul has three things. He has confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has a confirmation that God's in his trials. And then he has this conviction this is it right here. He has this conviction that he can't lose. He has confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has confirmation that in the midst of his worst trials he's in, God's still there. And then he has this conviction that he can't lose. It all goes back to verse 6 where he says, being confident of this very thing, he who began the good work will complete it. God's got this. God's got this. So here's, verse, here's the first part. Confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. His circumstances have advanced the gospel. 
while he was in prison. His circumstances have advanced the gospel. That doesn't make sense to an average thinking person who can't include God in all things, even bad things. But Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8.28, you know, he actually says, all things work together for good according to those who are called according to his purposes. All things. So this prison thing is going to work out for me. And then he says, the guards of the Roman prison know about the gospel. Matter of fact, there's another verse that says, really, all of the palace knows. His, the servants, that the, the guards have servants, by the way. They're paid pretty well by the Romans. They have servants. And so when, when Paul leads one of those Roman soldiers to Christ, okay, eventually he's telling his family what happened. Well, then those families are hitting it, and the little servants are sneaking around doorways and listening to what they're saying. They're going, oh, man, that's that, that's that gospel story that keeps going around town. Yeah, and pretty soon. So here's Paul. They've locked him up in some sort of house arrest in the Praetorian Guard campus somewhere, somewhere on the Roman, high Roman valued property. And now he's got influence all over that property because everything Paul does is for the glory of Christ. It's all about the gospel. That's what you're going to see in his life. It's all about the gospel. And so Paul is chained to these guards. And I just want to ask you, when you go through a bad trial, a hard trial, how do you get to see God in your trials? How do you get to see Him? I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you how Paul's doing. You don't focus on you. You focus on God's purposes. Paul wasn't sitting in prison going, man, I am so tired of being chained to this guy. I'm just miserable here. He wasn't focused on, you know, am I ever going to get to go sailing again? Am I ever going to get go see these people I love in Galatia or Ephesus or any of those people? He, he wasn't focused on him. In his trial, in his time of suffering and difficulty, you know what he was focused on? The purposes of Christ. What's the purpose of Christ in this? And when you do that, your trial is no longer a trial. And by the way, Satan has no power over you if you'll get your eyes off of you. No power over you. No power over you at all if you'll get your eyes off of you. God's purpose was for the gospel to be broadcast, to be blasted out. And Paul sees the gospel broadcast while he's in prison in the Roman Praetorium, in the guards. Last night I got home, I was kind of tired, and I sat down and, and uh, the, the movie The Gladiator was on. And here I've been studying this, you know, these Roman guards and these Roman soldiers and all that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking... You know, and, and actually there's this, this scene where they're trying to kill the gladiator for, where he's still the general and they take him out to execute him. And he, one of the guys on the horses that he's already killed most of the guys there, one of the guys on the horses, he yells, hey, Praetorian. There's a guy on a horse not paying any attention to all this calamity that just happened behind him. He turns around, of course, you know, Russell Crowe takes him out. So, <laughs> but it's pretty, I was like, that's the Romans. That's those guys. This is who Paul's chained to is that rough bunch of guys. He's chained to one of those guys. And he's ministering like crazy, saying, I'm confident that the gospel is at work. So he has the confidence that the Holy Spirit is doing this incredible work. And he actually affirms that in the next verses when he, when he gives you the confirmation of God in his trials. He says, look, and he's telling the Philippians, remember, he's telling them, God's got this, you've got this. Now he's saying, I've got this. Let me tell you how I know I've got this. He says, first of all, I see God at work in the guards. And, and I see the advance of the gospel. And then he says, let me let me." affirm that uh, confirm this with you the gospel is progressing and the saint because the gospel's progressing 
the saints now have the courage to talk more about the gospel. The, the, saint, the saved people in my area where I'm staying, which would be the guards, okay, or maybe their servants or people that are, you know, second and third generation saved off of what Paul shared with some guard, those people are having courage to talk more. And the Philippians, if you remember, the Philippians sent a guy named Epaphroditus. So here's the deal. Epaphroditus comes and visits Paul in jail. Actually, it says in chapter 2 to the point that he got sick. He stayed there so long, he got sick. And he visits Paul and cares for him. And so when the Philippians send that information, they confirm the gospel by saying, hey, we believe in this guy. We support him. I don't know if they were trying to hire lawyers or trying to get you know, some of the people in the working class. Philippi was a Roman colony. There would have been people in Philippi that had great influence with Rome. They may have had some lawyers or some legislators or some people that were high up in the ranks you know, coming around trying to get in the back door of all this political stuff that's happening to Paul saying, come on. And so Paul said, man, thank you all so much for your support. The gospel's been advanced and now there's the courage of the saints to speak out the word of God. And they are fearless for the cause of the gospel. This is my, this is my word of the year, my thought of the year. My, you're going to hear it real clear next, next week. Okay, we have to get much more courageous in talking about Jesus and what he did for you outside of this building. We have to get much more courageous with that. The gospel cannot be squelched because we move outside of this building. It actually needs to be inflamed. And we need to have courage, fearless faith. That's what I taught on at the camp this weekend. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, I'm already in jail. They could cut my head off. It's okay. I'm going to keep telling the guards about Jesus. Keep telling the guards about Jesus. You know, he was, he was not afraid. And he's saying, I see evidence that the gospel is being spoken now outside of me and, and it's fearless for the people are fearless. He says you have courage. The, the Greek grammar right here is beautiful because it's actually the word courage without fear. That's what it means. So there's, because you can have courage with fear. I've done that many times in my life. You know, sure, I'll do that. And then like when I was going to go repelling for the very first time, you know, I'm going to tie a rope around myself and hook it to this and I got to tie this knot over here. This guy's teaching me how to tie the knot. He's not tying it for me. I want the professional instructor to tie that knot because that knot's what I'm going to hang by. And I'm like, hey, could you check the knot? Oh, yeah, you look good. No, 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 no. Could you come over here and check the knot? Because this boy's going to hang off the side of a 150-foot cliff by this knot. So just glancing at it is not what I need. Look at the Is that exactly how that's supposed to be? Yeah, it looks good, it looks good. You know, but that's what I'm saying. When You know, I had I had all kinds of fear backing over that cliff, but I did it because I had enough courage to get me there. So I didn't have fearless courage. What Paul's talking about, though, in this grammar of this text is, man, they just go, hey, there's nothing to be afraid of. Just go after it. Go. Just walk right into that battle with faith. With faith, believing that what God said He would do, He would do. He will prosper those who spread the gospel, who, who honor and exalt Him. And that's how Paul's living his life out. And so he says there's this courage without fear and, and he's saying it's confirming the work of God. When you have courage without fear in sharing and loving other people, it confirms that God is at work. It's not just you. It's God at work now. Because courage without fear is God doing something special. And that's, that's what the guards are. They're, they're going so... Don't you know the guards are tied up to him and go, hey, you know that, that... You hear those footsteps coming down the hall, don't you? That could be your notice for, you know, having your head cut off. That's probably what that is. And you know they had to mess with him. Uh, 
There's more paper. There's more paperwork. I got to read the door. Let me see. Oh, Paul. No. Yeah, it's like no, it's not it. Don't you know they messed with him? But he didn't have any fear. He was like, a, he's actually going to say in a few minutes, for me to live is die is gain. To die is gain. And they're going, man, what's wrong with you? It's like I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of anything because I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't have to be afraid anymore. God's got this. And the soldiers are going, man, that's different. That's really different. And at some point, it's, it's converting soldier after soldier after soldier, friend after friend after friend, because he has this courage that's not afraid. And I want us to be that kind of church this year. I want us to have courage to try things we haven't tried before, to do community things we haven't done before, just to be a witness to Christ. And uh, I really believe God's calling us to do that. So then he says there's these gospel teachers that's got all these different motives. And he, he talks about it pretty clear in the text. He says, he says some of them are, are, and they're actually trying to hurt Paul. They're trying to, trying to inflict pain. And he says um, some of them are teaching out of love, but some of them are speaking it with selfish motives. They have sinful motives, but they're preaching the same gospel. It's a very interesting passage. It took me a while to unravel it and kind of work through it a little bit at a time. And I'm going to just highlight a couple of things with you on this. There were people in Paul's, they're really in his wake. They're people that came to Christ probably through his efforts, maybe through some of the other ministry efforts, Silas and Timothy and Luke and others that are Peter and others that are sharing the gospel. And they're truly saved because he says multiple times, as long as they're preaching the gospel, as long as they're preaching the gospel, as long as they're preaching the gospel. The gospel is everything. Well, let me make that clear for you. The gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, that Christ suffered and died for our sins and he was buried and rose again and was seen of many witnesses. That's the gospel, crystal clear. And Paul says as long as they're preaching that Christ died for sins, which means people are sinners and they can't save themselves, Christ died for the sinners and people need to trust Christ to get saved, even if the people preaching it are doing it for the wrong motives, like they're doing it for money. Or he actually says in this text, some of them are doing it for envy and strife. They're actually trying to make Paul look bad. They're jealous of Paul's ministry work. And so they're trying to be the, the next Paul in some community. They come into some community and go, oh, you know that old Apostle Paul guy, he's in jail. And don't you know, once he went to jail, some of, some of the preachers and evangelists that are traveling around with the same truth gospel, going, yes, because he wasn't a man of faith. So you don't, if you don't have enough faith, you end up in jail. But we've got faith. And so I'm going to, you know, me, Gamaliel, or whatever my name is, I'm going to preach the gospel to you, and I'm going to tell you, you know, better than Paul could. And Paul's saying, hey, I've heard the stories, man. You know, the Roman guards know everything. I've heard all the stories. Some people are out there preaching the gospel with selfish motives, trying to even hurt me while I'm in jail. Now, if I was in jail, people were trying to hurt me while I was in jail, especially if I was in jail for a good reason. You know, I've been to jail for cutting down trees. Actually, the church cut the trees down. The church paid somebody to cut trees down. And then I got to go to prison for that. So I'm not prison, but jail. <laughs> so I spent a little time behind bars. Okay, because of our official board. Thank you very much, guys. So I will tell you they showed up at the courtroom, not in the courtroom, but in the window outside the courtroom waved at me a couple times. And they're doing this from way in the back. I'm standing in front of a judge with all kinds of counselors and 
lawyers up there. We don't have a lawyer, by the way. I'm up there going, I didn't cut the tree down, man. I don't know what happened. It wasn't my fault. And they go, well, you're still going to have to pay. So, you know, Lord, Lord worked all that out. Pretty fun story. But it's a pretty interesting deal. And I can tell you, the, the Apostle Paul would have had people looking at him saying the only way you got to do you got in jail was because you did something bad or wrong. God wouldn't send a good, good guy to jail. Right? So it's because you did something stupid or wrong. So his counterparts, some of them are preaching the gospel out of all the wrong motives to hurt Paul, to jab at him. If I'm Paul in jail and my Christian friends... They're really Christians now. Don't they, they will be in heaven with him, right? They are now. If my Christian friends are taking shots at me while I'm already being shot at, I'm already in trouble, I would be furious. Oh, what's wrong with these people? And I sure wouldn't write a good note about them. I'd be like, hey, don't y'all need to listen to those nutheads? They've all got their story all messed up. You know? That's not Paul. He's going, hey, I've got one purpose. It's the gospel going forward. So if those goobers that think I'm all messed up for being in jail and I don't have enough faith, if they've got all kinds of questions and, and, and all kinds of conclusions they've drawn that are wrong about me, but still preach the gospel, Paul goes, yeah, the gospel's going forth. And he's rejoicing. Remember the whole letter's about rejoicing. He's like, I'm just rejoicing they're preaching the gospel. You know, now if they ever stop preaching the gospel... And Paul does this later on. He calls some people out. In chapter 3, he's going to call some guys out that aren't preaching the gospel. Right? He actually calls them dogs in chapter 3. So we're going to talk about the, the Judaizers and all that when we get there. But here's what he's saying. He's saying some people have this selfish motive, the worst motive of all, selfish motive, and it's an unchristlike behavior. It's a me first, me only deal, and they're preaching that. But other preachers are preaching it out of, and he used the word agape, out of love. Love for who? Love for God. Love for Paul, love for what Jesus has done to them, and they're preaching the gospel clear. So there's these two motives, selfishness and love, but the gospel is clear. And some people are trying to inflict suffering, the word is stress and pressure and friction and irritation on Paul while he's in jail. And he goes, but you know what I know? And once again, we're back to Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began the good work. Paul goes, I was appointed. This is a cool word Paul uses. He says, I was appointed put here, one translation says put here, another translation says appointed for the sake of the gospel. Now, that's an interesting word that he uses because it's the military term. He's hanging out with a bunch of military guys and see, they're appointed to him. There's a guy, you know, Billy is appointed to Paul for the day. Like, man, you're my assignment. I've been appointed to hang out with you. Handcuffs himself to Paul. You know, and then Paul's got to have a conversation with him about Jesus. And so Paul says, you know what I was appointed to? Handcuffed to? I'm appointed to the gospel. I was appointed to be a gospel-bearing person. I'm going to say it to every one of you that know Christ. You know what you're appointed to by God? Literally like a soldier in the secondary ranks appointed by a general, a major, a captain. We're appointed to share the gospel. First and foremost, talk about what Jesus did for you and what he did for the other person. Paul was appointed, spending a lot of time with these military soldiers, so he uses this word, I've been appointed like a soldier to the gospel, and then he uses the word that Cody likes a whole lot. He says, because I'm serving in defense of the gospel. Apologia. Apologetics. That's where we get the word apologetic from. Paul says, I am the guy that can explain how the gospel works better than anybody. I know this, man. I know the gospel. 
And I, he lives out the gospel by putting Christ first in his life. And he says, I, was, I'm, I serve in defense. Now we can find God working in our trials. This is what Paul's doing. He's in this heavy trial. He's even got people slandering him. Christian people slander. It's one thing to have the world slander you. It's one thing to have bad people slander you. But when Christian people slander you, it gets much more painful. I always tell our church staff and my young guys I'm helping raise up in the ministry here, I'm so so honored to uh, serve with those guys and disciple them all the time. You know, the arrows that come over the bow, when you're being shot at, you're like, oh yeah, those are bad guys. You know, it's the arrows from behind you that you go, whoa, where did that come from? You know, somebody pulled that out of my back. That's my team picking on something and making it bad. And here's, here's what Paul's saying. Either way, I want the gospel to go forth. And I can see God at work in these trials. We can find God working in our trials when we look with spiritual eyes. When, we be, when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul says, I see the Holy Spirit in all of this. I see the Holy Spirit in all of this. And because of that, he has this conviction. We're going to end on this today. He has this conviction that he cannot lose. That he cannot lose. I'm going to say to you, you have friends, and I have friends, that live on the borders of depression and anxiety and fears. And all this stuff weighs on them. Life weighs every little thing that happens. The car breaks down, the the dryer breaks down, the you know refrigerator breaks down, the the your finances get messed up, you know tax time, uh, all that stuff, all this weight comes in on us, and we start living to fears and anxiety, and we don't have to, because we serve this amazing God that said, "I'm going to send my Son to pay for your sin, so I can adopt you as mine." And once that happens, I've got. You do not need to worry about all that stuff. Even if you're locked up to a prisoner and your future is uncertain. Or to to a prison guard and your future is uncertain. God has got this. That's what Paul's saying. He has this conviction that he can't lose. Now here's what drives this conviction. And I love this part. This is where we play a very specific role for people that are going through hard times. One, Paul says he has the prayers of his friends. Verse 19, I have the prayers of my friends to support me. Here's how I know God's got this. And I have a conviction that I cannot lose because my friends are praying for me. And it means the world to have your friends praying for you. We've been through some pretty heavy trials here. Our eldership, some of our family's been through some pretty heavy trials. And uh, and I've got these people in Birmingham that just, they call me every once in a while and go, hey, what, what's going on with you? Lord, put you on my heart. I went, really? Yeah, something, something's not okay. They say, well, tell me, how, tell me what to pray for. And so I give them you know, a little bit of the specifics of what's happening. And they say, I'm going to create a network of prayer people. And they're going to network around you. And they're going to pray for you. And they're going to send you little information through your phone. You're going to get information from them of what they're praying about. I get these little snippets. One of them said, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will give you enormous peace. And bring all that you want, all that God wants in you to the very best place in your life. I'm like, nobody's ever prayed that for me. That was awesome. You know? The Holy Spirit. And you talk about having some peace about the next 
12 hours after I read that, I'm going, oh man, I feel this wave of peace. And then two or three other people start chiming in on that little thread, you know? When Josh went through his really rough seizures, well, last July or so, he had all that stuff. We, we connected with a bunch of people in Birmingham and just rallied around him. His friends, our friends from our former church and you, prayed like crazy for him. You know how much that means to us? That is huge. So Paul's saying, here's how I know God's got this. I have friends supporting me. If you're not sure God's got you in your trial, you, got, you need to make some better friends. You just need some friends that'll pray their prayers. Pray, I mean, they're hard prayers. They're devoted prayers. They're determined to pray for you, and they pray for you, and then they check on you. That's what good friends do. That's what north side people do. Amen? All right, that's what we're going to do. And then Paul says, we also have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's like, <laughs> prayers of people, help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I got the Spirit of God helping me. Paul says, I got the Spirit of God helping me. When you put the Spirit of God helping him and the prayers of the saints supporting him and the fact that he, listen, the fact that he is focused on the gospel, it's a no-loss scenario. We always say it's a no-win scenario. Paul's chained up. Couldn't you imagine people going, well, Paul's chained up in prison and, you know, the senators in the town hate him and he messed up when he was over in Philippi. He got that whole little group mad at him and they've got influence there. Now he's got these people mad at him. There's about 10 towns of Romans mad at him. The Jews hate him. Paul's really messed up. It's a no-win scenario. He's in a no-win scenario. Couldn't you hear people say that? You know, Paul's writing to the Philippians. I'm in a no-loss scenario. This is awesome. He's like, just rejoice with me. We can't lose. Because I've got you praying for me. I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got the gospel as my priority. That's how you can't lose. You've got Christian friends that will pray for you. You got the Holy Spirit guiding you, and you got the gospel as your number one priority. You can't lose when you're in that situation. You can't lose. Paul understands that deliverance is possible through those prayers. He's expecting God to work through the prayers and deliver him. Okay? John 13, or Job 13, 16, by the way, is quoted in this text. It's very subtle. But the actual text that Paul writes grammatically. It's the same thing Job says when he's in a lot of mess. Remember Job had all these trials in his life? But he says these words, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I know by experiential knowledge with God, by real-time relationship with God, I know that the hard things that are happening to me will turn out for the good things of God and my deliverance. Now, there's two kinds of deliverances Paul can have, right? One is, boop, you know, express lane to heaven. We're going to cut your head off today. That's express lane stuff, right? Express lane to heaven, see Jesus, done. It's great. The other deliverance is, hey, you're free to go. You know, we've read all your stuff. And we've tried to find something. And you're free to go. But he goes, I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance. I can't lose. I can't lose. And great things are possible when saints are praying and the Holy Spirit is guiding a man or a woman who's preaching the word. Great things are possible when that happens. I want you guys to really get focused around that gospel being the center of that. The prayers of the saints, the Holy Spirit, and the word is a powerful combination. Paul says it's a no-loss scenario. You want to live the rest of your life in a no-loss scenario? Can't lose? You've got to put the gospel in the center of everything you're doing. You've got to say, I'm all about Jesus Christ. And then he says, you know what? I know I'm expendable. 
I'm expendable. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. That's what I'm living for and who I'm living for. And to die is gain. I'm expendable. The gospel will still go forward. I wonder if you had to write down a sentence and you really had time to meditate on it. For me to live is. For me to live is. Is career. Is finding more fun. Is is finding a way to make more money. It's, it's wanting more power or control or influence. For me is a, a lifestyle of stuff I want to have and I want to do. For me to live is blank. Paul's is real simple. It's just Christ. Everything Paul does is about exalting, declaring Christ and His gospel and His grace and His love. For Paul, it was Christ in his life. The things he drew from life, the things he drew life from were exalting Christ, explaining Christ, talking about Christ, teaching about Christ, sharing about Christ. Oh, that God would make every believer in. I think the reason church life in America struggles is because we spend a lot of time exalting and explaining and teaching about all the other things, not Christ. We got a lot of little things we can talk about, but Christ is everything. And Paul never stopped exalting Christ. You can read all of his epistles and see it crystal clear. When he's in jail, he's saying, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began the good work in me is going to complete it. For me to live as Christ dies gain. I'm in a no-loss scenario here. Oh, that God would make us like that. Christ will be exalted through Paul's life or death. In life, Paul's going to minister. He actually says, verse 19 and 20 and following, he says, I have this fruitful labor that's possible. I can bear fruit. If God leaves me here, I can bear fruit. Why? Because I'm going to put Christ first. That's how we bear fruit. We put Christ first and we love people with unconditional love. So in life, Paul's going to minister fruitful labor. Paul's life, he, he says he can live his life in the flesh that, that doesn't mean, by the way, in we use the word flesh sometimes for our sinful flesh. He's just saying, I can stay alive. That's his, <laughs> I can stay alive and they don't kill me. Uh, and if that happens, I can bear Christian fruit. I can bear the fruit that God wants me to bear. It's the same thing he says in Galatians 2.20. I love this verse in 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not, it's no longer I it's no longer my life, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified. That means dead, but I live. I am crucified, dead, but I live. That's us. If you will die to yourself and make everything in your life about Jesus and exalting Jesus, make all of the income you're going to earn, all of the career you're going to build, all of the life you're going to live with your family, all of it's about exalting Jesus. When you do that, now you're in a no-loss scenario. You cannot lose. And I mean life gets good at that point. Paul says in death, they're just going to execute me and I'm going to be a testimony for the saints and freedom. My martyrdom will serve as this cool testimony. By the way, Paul's already seen a bunch of martyrs. A number of them already passed away. And so he's already seen this martyrdom path we're just gonna. It just makes a bigger name for Jesus. It's okay, and I, and I get the express lane to heaven. Paul's like express lane to heaven. Me and Jesus hanging out. So he's loving Christ and exalting Christ joyfully in the midst of this trial that would seem to us to be a no 
win scenario, Paul says, no, it's a no loss scenario for me. You can't lose. You can't lose because Jesus is going to get exalted however this happens. So he has this dilemma that he lists. His dilemma is to live for Christ, preaching and building the church, stay, stay alive, let the Romans let him out, preaching and building the church and glorifying God in his death, or becoming a martyr so that the gospel gets held out. I have, I have, Paul's like, I'm having this really hard time trying to decide, is this the best way to exalt Christ if they take me to the, you know, to the place where my head's going to get off? Is that the best way? Or is the best way for me to stay here and be used? That's my dilemma. I can keep building churches and, and preaching the gospel and serving this Christ that I love so much or I could just go meet this Christ that I love so much. I was like, man, it's really hard to figure out what I, what's best. I like both. He's like, I like both options. The no loss scenario is right there. It's the picture that Paul gives us in his dilemma. Both scenarios have Christ as the center of them. Both scenarios. And so here's what I want to ask you. What kind of dilemma are you in? The, the, some people get in this dilemma and they try to choose between, well, I don't know if I need to spend more time uh, serving God and you know, working on my spiritual life with Christ or build my career. I, got, I really got to get focused on my career, right? So it's Christ or career. Some people are doing you know, Christ or wealth, Christ or vacation or Christ or, or working on my retirement. You got all these other ultimate deals. Paul says, no, the choice needs to be for a believer, be with Christ or serve Christ in the local church. That's your two deals. If you will focus your life around those two things, you can't lose. There's no dilemma in that anymore. The godly dilemma should be you long to be with Christ, you have, but you have this passion to serve His bride. That's the godly dilemma. And that's what should happen for us. And I want to tell you the key to joy that Paul has, because he's got this enormous amount of joy all through this letter. Rejoice, 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 joy, joy, joy. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 1. We're going to say it at the end of the service today together. But Philippians 4 verse 1, he uses that word. Uh, so my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. He's rejoicing all through this letter. Verse 3, I'm rejoicing, filled with joy, thankful and joyful in my prayers for you. It doesn't make sense unless you have this conviction that God's got this. And the conviction that you can't lose because you belong to God. That's exactly what Paul's trying to get us to understand. Now, here's the last note of the day. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Please don't think that Paul's just kind of coasting through all this like, okay? Paul's had a, if you study the life of Paul, he's not this banner of success. I preach about him like he is. Because he's such an impressive missionary. Thirteen times, Paul is so close to God that God says, I can have you write a letter to one of the churches you helped start and or a friend, Timothy and Titus. I can have you write a letter and it's actually going to be my words, exactly my words. These are my God-breathed, inspired words coming out of your pen. Thirteen times that happened to Paul. So you talk about a guy that's close to God. And you look at who at his missionary journeys in the back of your Bible. You probably have maps if it's a good study Bible. You have maps that have Paul's missionary journeys. You look at all the places he went. 
three missionary journeys pushing the gospel all over the world at the time. Man, he was knocking it out. Planting churches, leading people to Jesus, planting churches, starting churches, writing back to the churches, helping the churches get going, helping the churches purge the sin out of theirs. I mean, he was doing awesome. But then if you actually just take some credentials from him, you go, you know, he had a rough, rough deal. He was chased out of a bunch of towns. He was stoned to death nearly a couple times. <laughs> there were a couple of times where even the church at Jerusalem, when he first got converted, didn't trust him. And they're like, no, that guy can't come here. He used, to, he used to round up people and put them in jail for being Christians. We're not letting him come to our church. So even in his early days, he had rejection of Christian people. Now he's in jail for preaching the gospel. Should be something you go, yay, good job. And there are people that are slandering him while he's in jail. So he's not like going, oh, this is all easy, man. It's real easy. He's, his heart's hurt by some of this stuff, right? So I just want, especially my millennials, but even the adults here, okay, that whole, you know, life's going to be perfect when you get saved and just put Jesus in the center of your life and then nothing's really hard. You're in a no-loss scenario when you put Jesus in there, but it is going to be hard. And it's, there are hard things that are going to happen. Paul was in prison for two years. By the way, it was his, I think it was, Kendall could correct me on this, but his second or third time in prison. He's been in prison a bunch. Before he dies, he's going to be in prison four times. The fourth time, he's not coming back. He's getting the express lane treatment. Okay? So he was being persecuted by devout Jews in Rome. He was being chased around by Rome. Um, he, he was rejected by the Jerusalem church. He had critics who were jealous of him and slandering him. Paul had all these painful things happening to him. And yet he still says, you know I can rejoice? Because I'm in a no-loss scenario. God's got this. I'm trusting in the power and the sovereignty of the one who saved me and made me his child. I trust in him. And it's all going to go fine. The godliest man I've ever known used to sit right over here, Robert E. Cochran. He's with the Lord now. Gosh, I miss him. By the way, I still have some audio of him that I listen to all the time. And that's just it's just the neatest thing. <clears throat> but he used to say it this way all the time. He'd say it to us in our elders' prayer. He'd, he'd just say it in, in sentences all the time. He'd say these words. You know, Larou, I call Larry, Larou. He said, you know, Larou, we're on the winning team. He said, I've read the back of the book. We're on the winning team. Robert E. Cochran had all this joy in his suffering days. He had all this joy. You know why? Because he knew Paul's message of truth. God's got this. We're on the winning team. We can't lose. So why do we get all sheepish and shy and fear-based and worry and stress over stuff when we cannot lose? No matter what scenario or circumstance or trial or suffering, no matter what difficulty you're going through, no matter what, if Christ can be exalted, you win. So you say, well, I've just been diagnosed with X, Y, Z. If Christ can be exalted in that, you win. You win. Hey, we're going to be winners. Amen? We're going to be winners.